With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. What day does fever start? Wednesday. If you've ever watched a medical drama on TV, you're used to hearing things like this. We're already at day 10. What's day 10? Do Parker have red eyes? He was asleep the last time I checked. Let's go. Lots of fast talking, scribbling a bunch of diseases on a whiteboard and dramatically crossing them out, hunching over Petri dishes in a lab doing tests, and of course, let's not forget, breaking into a patient's house to find out what's poisoning them. Okay, 20 bucks as I can get through this door in 20 seconds. You're on. Count me in. On these medical shows, which I gotta admit, even I love to watch, they always manage to make the cliffhanger come right before the commercial break. And of course, they solve the case just before the episode is over. It all looks very exciting. And as someone who's also a doctor, maybe a little too good to be true. Well, what if I told you that today we were going to put the diagnostic skills of a real doctor, a guy who you could reasonably call the real life but much more functional and friendly Dr. House under the microscope? No, we don't break into people's houses like on House MD <laughs> to find that pet or that toxin that's sitting in there. But there's a lot of thinking that goes on outside the exam room. That's Dr. Gurpreet Dhaliwal. He's a medical school professor at the University of California, San Francisco. I'm a general internist, and I work in the emergency department, uh, the inpatient wards of the hospital and the clinic. Uh, and my area of interest is how doctors think, and in particular, how they diagnose. And today, we're going to hear him try to solve an actual medical mystery in real time. From the Freakonomics Radio Network, welcome to Freakonomics MD. I'm Bapu Jenna. I'm a medical doctor and an economist. Usually on this show, I dissect the fascinating question at the sweet spot between health and economics. But today's episode is a little different. Every one of us needs medical care at some point in our lives. And when we do, it can be scary. Part of what makes seeing the doctor so scary is that we have no idea what's going on in their head. Why is the doctor looking at my skin so carefully? What's that on the computer screen they're looking at? Uh-oh, why did they just sigh? To demystify things a bit, today we're going to get to hear what happens inside a doctor's head when they're seeing a patient with a new medical dilemma. We're going to give Dr. Gurpreet Dhaliwal a real medical case to solve. Once he hears the info, he'll make a diagnosis and most importantly explain how he came to his decision. I want to emphasize that what you hear today are his deductions 
in real time. Gurpreet has no idea what he is about to hear. To help us with this challenge, I've asked another doctor to join us. Hi, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. My name is Charmin Shekharjian. I am an assistant professor affiliated with Stanford. Charmin was a student of Gurpreet's at UCSF. She also leads an effort called Clinical Problem Solvers, which is all about teaching doctors how to be better at making a diagnosis. She's prepared our case for this episode. And I just want to say that any identifying information about the patient has been scrubbed from this file. All the information is real, from the patient history to the lab result. Okay, let's go. Miss Miller is a 75-year-old woman who came to the emergency room. She had back pain for the past eight years from spinal stenosis. Over the past two weeks, though, the back pain had suddenly worsened out of nowhere. The pain was constant in the middle of her lower back and shut down her right hip. She had no physical injury to the back. She didn't experience any fevers or chills, bowel or urinary symptoms. She had about 30 pounds of unintentional weight loss over the prior year. She had a good appetite without any vomiting or abdominal pain. What else do we know about her history? She had coronary artery disease with stent placement 10 years prior. She also had high blood pressure and was on metformin for diabetes. Her heart medicine included aspirin, lisinopril, and atorvastatin. She had quit smoking cigarettes 40 years ago. Okay, Gurpreet, what are you thinking so far? So the major problem that we're contending with here is low back pain, which is exceptionally common. But there's something else that I noticed, which is that she's lost 30 pounds. But I do want to examine if the weight loss could have happened independently of the back pain to start. But I am also going to consider if the process that's causing the worsening of her back pain is also causing her to lose weight. So an example of that would be if there was a cancer or an infection that has set up shop in her back and is causing the worsening of pain, but is also consuming calories and energy in her body and causing her to lose weight. So I think this is the type of patient where we would get an x-ray, at least as a starting point, uh, to see what's happening in the back. And we may need more advanced imaging later. Thank you, Gurpreet, for just kind of laying the groundwork for how you're thinking about what's important. So, I mean, I'd be curious to hear what other information you were able to obtain. Absolutely. On the physical exam, her temperature, blood pressure, and breathing were normal. As she looked tired, she had muscle wasting in both temples. Her lung, heart, and abdominal exam were normal. She had lower back tenderness. Her strength, sensation, and reflexes were normal. She had a normal white count. She had anemia measured by hemoglobin level of 8.5, with the red blood cells that were on average smaller than normal, reflected on MCV of 75. Her electrolytes, kidney function, and liver tests were all normal. She had elevated inflammatory markers. Gurpreet, help us synthesize that information. There's a general signal that there is inflammation and a disease that's been unfolding for weeks or months or even longer, and she has muscle wasting. There's a special number that Charmin mentioned, which is the MCV. It's sort of a clue of how big the red cells are. This is a tad on the small side. And when red blood cells are small, that oftentimes clues us in that they are small because the body is low on an essential nutrient, which is iron. And I could then start to think of what would be reasons for her to have iron deficiency. There are some cancers, if they are in our stomach or intestine or large intestine, can cause iron deficiency. And so I'm already concerned about the possibility that there might be a cancer like colon cancer. Another one that has that as a characteristic is something called multiple myeloma, which is a bone marrow cancer that can cause a combination of back pain and anemia. Charmaine, what other information unfolded? 
And so next, MRI of the spine showed evidence of disc and vertebral bone inflammation in both the upper and lower spine. An ultrasound of the heart called a TTE showed a thickened heart valves, mild aortic regurgitation, but without any clear collection of bacteria known as vegetation. Her anemia workup was consistent with iron deficiency and her stool was positive for blood. Blood samples showed the bacteria called Enterococcus facialis. Wait, what? A cliffhanger? Really? All right, people. Here, Grapit's diagnosis coming up right after this. Can I at least get some medical drama music to take me to the break? Oh, that's not bad. I like it. Okay, I guess I can see the point of the cliffhanger. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi, it's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Previously on Freakonomics MD. We heard about a patient's symptoms, history, and lab results. Now it's up to Gurpreet Dhaliwal to tell us what he thinks the diagnosis is for this patient. And I want you to know he didn't even get a commercial break to mull things over while we were recording. We only gave him 60 seconds to answer after Charmin Shakarchian asked, What's the final diagnosis? I previously was discussing about the possibility of cancer, and now there's a signal, eventually a strong signal, that infection is the problem. And the question is, could both of them be present at the same time? So that MRI showed us that there's inflammation in the disc and inflammation in the bone, and those are typically caused by an infection. So the question naturally comes, where is the infection from? How did it get there? And we worry about an infection if it's present in the back, having come from the bloodstream. And now the question is, where did that enterocarditis 
caucus come from? And it now starts to connect with the other idea that we were concerned about, which is if she's low on iron, why is she low on iron? That makes us think about you know something uh, as simple and treatable as an ulcer, something as sinister as a cancer. And given the information here and the weight loss that she had, I'm quite concerned about the latter. So with this combination, the test that she's likely going to need is a colonoscopy. So my leading suspicion here is that she has a colon cancer, which has led to iron deficiency anemia, and the colon cancer with a small breach led to the enterococcus in the blood. There's still a slight concern that that enterococcus didn't just land in the back, but on its way going through the bloodstream may have landed on the heart valves. Although we did one test that shows that there was no abnormality uh, on the heart valves, or at least not a significant one, you can do a different type of echocardiogram and get a closer picture to determine if there is or isn't an infection on the heart valves. And I think that may be warranted in this case. Charmaine, did any of those things happen? Dear audience, I promise you Gurpreet has not seen any of these information <laughs> that I'm about to read to you. <laughs> there was still a high clinical suspicion for infective endocarditis, which is infection involving the inner lining of the heart and the valves. So another kind of ultrasound of the heart called transesophageal echocardiogram was performed. It showed bacterial growth. She was treated for enterococcus endocarditis with IV antibiotics. She underwent a colonoscopy that showed colon cancer. She's scheduled for a follow-up with oncology and general surgery for management and treatment. First of all, I, I'm amazed. This is amazing, Gurpreet. Let me just ask you, how quickly did you start to formulate an idea about what was going on, like a sketch of a set of diagnoses that might explain her symptoms. I started forming my hypotheses early on, just like studies show of doctors that they form hypotheses in the first 30 to 60 seconds. The part that got me concerned early on was the weight loss of 30 pounds. And, and we are trained to see that combination of back pain and weight loss and be concerned uh, about either an infection or cancer. And there's many other reasons that people can lose weight that would be unrelated to their back. And in, in some ways, we hold out hope for that. But as the evidence kept converging, the simple story that I had that this was a flare of a pre-existing condition started to fade to the background. Charmaine, how does this make you feel? I'm just really, really glad I have um, Gurpreet's number so I can just call him and run cases by him. Yeah, yeah. Um, his number is 1-800-DR-DOLLYWALL. <laughs> I, I promise you Charmaine would have gotten to the same conclusion, but I appreciate the vote of confidence. You can't see me, but I'm blushing. That set of connections is not something that I would have made. Again, I'm just impressed by how you were able to keep asking that question of why this bacteria, why this anemia, what's going on in her heart. Amazing. One thing begets another question. We talk about what is the diagnosis, but really there was lots of diagnoses along the way, yeah. um, and each one led to another why. I mean, you could even take that a step further and say, what are the reasons that this person was susceptible to colon cancer? It's almost this never-ending quest to understand the root cause. So Charmaine and Gurpreet, people who are not in healthcare just got a window into how doctors think. And what would you have people take away? Charmaine, let me start with you. At the end of the day, when I think about medicine, I think about at the core of it is a partnership between a physician and a patient. And we wouldn't be able to make progress in our diagnosis if patients don't trust us. If you don't get the right information from the patient, the right history, then we're not going to be on the right track. 
In fact, making the diagnosis is only half of the job. The other half is communicating it clearly and compassionately to the patient and their family. I hope there are lessons that maybe transcend problem solving in medicine and they apply to problem solving in all fields. Oftentimes, you don't need to have detailed or encyclopedic knowledge. Uh, It's more important to have a rigorous way of thinking through something. We don't have to test for everything, but we do have to at least consider it in our mind. Gurpreet and and Charmaine, I think for most of the people who are listening to this show, this is going to feel like a house MD, except with Gurpreet MD. As an avid viewer of shows like Grey's Anatomy and and House, I'm just curious, when you watch shows like that, you know, what do you think? I think the diagnostic journey during the house is fascinating, although a lot of the things that he does is quite unethical. So you're saying that house, he doesn't follow HIPAA? No? Uh, Okay. (laughs) I believe there are a couple of uh, things that he does wrong. Just a couple, though. (laughs) No, I, you know, I I have caught all of those shows. I think most of them I saw in their early iterations. You know, um, ER, for instance, was like a staple when I was in medical school. We were so excited. We used to get together and watch it. File it under entertainment. Maybe I'd say Scrubs and ER capture the reality of the world a little more than House and Grey's Anatomy. Uh, But the the one thing I would say all of them do, uh, sometimes to absurdity, is they do show how hard everyone is working to try to figure out what's going on with the patient. The patient doesn't get a sense of how much work is happening behind the scenes. Gurpreet, Charmaine, I want to thank you for taking the time. Well, thank you so much. It was a real honor to invite me and Charmaine on the show, and, and you let us do the thing that we love most, which is clinical problem solving. Thank you. Couldn't have said it any better. Thank you so much. I first met Gurpreet Dhaliwal about five years ago. I remember I was at a conference with other physicians, and Gurpreet's diagnostic skills were actually the nighttime entertainment. For us, watching an amazing diagnostician unravel a medical case is about as good as a magic show. And if you've been listening to this podcast all along, you know I love a good magic show. Shout out to Tricky Tim. So on stage, Gurpreet was presented with a case about a young flight attendant who had just returned from a flight to Southeast Asia with a fever and a cough that would not go away. The doctor presenting the case to Gurpreet told him that the woman had been tested for tuberculosis multiple times, probably at different hospitals, and each test came back negative. For me, that would have ruled out a diagnosis of tuberculosis. When Gurpreet was asked to make a final diagnosis, though, again, standing in a room full of 100 doctors, what was his final call? Tuberculosis. And Gurpreet was right. The fourth time the young woman was tested, it was positive. That night has stood out in my mind for several years now. I was amazed that Gurpreet was confident enough in his deductive skills as a doctor to offer up a diagnosis on stage in the face of overwhelming data suggesting the contrary. Now, while many doctors may not be ready to stand in the spotlight, we are working behind the scenes to solve complex puzzles with high stakes. Your health. And we need all the pieces we can get. You got to tell us everything, folks. If everyone was as curious and warm as Gurpreet, maybe that would feel easier to do, right? That's why I wanted you all to hear from him today. And it's worth emphasizing, what Gurpreet did was incredibly difficult. Because in the real world, when you see a patient and have a set of facts, it's never all the information that you need. There are things that are missing. There's distracting information. And sometimes there's just wrong information. 
So how do doctors get better? If you talk to doctors like Arpreet, who in medicine we sometimes refer to as master clinicians, there is this term that you hear come up frequently, deliberate practice. For these doctors, it means that lifelong learning becomes intentional. Medicine changes rapidly. We have new tests and treatments coming out all the time. I don't really think it's possible to be a good doctor without being an active, lifelong learner. In fact, I did a study a few years back that showed that the older a doctor was, the worse the outcomes were for their patients. That may seem a bit disheartening, but we did find that doctors who treated a lot of patients as they got older, these are doctors who were still in the thick of it, learning. Those doctors didn't see the mortality of their patients affected by their age in the same way. Where I worked, Mass General in Boston, many doctors actually wear short white coats. Normally, you only see those coats on medical students, but the purpose for wearing them is for us all to remember that we should always be learning. That's it for this week's episode of Freakonomics MD. Thanks for listening, and I hope you subscribe to or follow the show. If you have any thoughts on the show, ideas, anything at all, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at bapu at freakonomics.com. That's B-A-P-U at freakonomics.com. Freakonomics MD is part of the Freakonomics Radio Network, which also includes Freakonomics Radio, No Stupid Questions, and People I Mostly Admire. This show is produced by Stitcher and Renbud Radio. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Bapu Pod. This episode was produced by Trisha Bobita and mixed by Adam Yaffe. Our staff also includes Stephen Dubner, Allison Craiglow, Greg Rippin, Joel Meyer, Emma Terrell, Eleanor Osborne, Jasmine Klinger, Lyric Bowditch, and Jacob Clementi. If you like this show or any other show in the Freakonomics Radio Network, please recommend it to your family and friends. That's the best way to support the podcasts you love. As always, thanks for listening. The Freakonomics Radio Network, the hidden side of everything. Stitcher. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.